Lord God, we, we thank you for your word, and we thank you also for, uh, for compassion, all they do, inspired by your word, inspired by who you are. And so we just pray that you would really um, be with him, Holy Spirit, fill him, anoint him, empower his words, and may all that he says be, uh, be so helpful, challenging, comforting, inspiring. May we hear from you, God. That's our heart, is to touch the heart of God in these moments. Amen. Fantastic. Well, it is good to be here and just to sense God's presence. How many of you love Jesus? There's a few out there. That's great, isn't it? Where would we be without Jesus? I know where I'd be, but uh, I'm not going to talk about that. So if you've got a Bible, just turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. And uh, we're going to read a story that you will know very, very well. Even if you're not used to church, even if you've not been a Christian long, even if you've only just recently started coming, you'll have heard this at school. You'll have heard it somewhere. It's the, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. So while you're looking for Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 25, um, I, let me ask you a question. I wonder what you think, uh, what your perception is of poverty, Okay. Uh, I think if we went around the room, there'd be lots of different perceptions. And um, it reminds me of the story, actually, of a, a general and his lieutenant who are coming home from the war. And they get to the train station, and it's absolutely rammed there. But they manage to get on the train, and they find the last two seats on this railway carriage. And it's opposite this elderly grandmother and a young granddaughter. So they sit down. There's a little bit of small talk. And uh, the train passes off. And, and after a while, it goes through a, a tunnel. And for about 10 seconds, it's pitch black in the carriage, you know. And uh, the only sound that could be heard is the sound of a kiss and the sound of a slap. And everybody, you're not sure now, are you? <laughs> Philip, you're wondering why have, I, why have I let him speak this morning. The sound of a kiss and the sound of a slap. And the, the, uh, everyone in the carriage had their own perception of what actually happened. You see, the young lady thought to herself, well, I'm flattered that the lieutenant kissed me, but I'm really embarrassed that grandmother hit him. Grandmother thinks to herself, well, I'm really aggravated that that young man kissed my granddaughter, but I'm glad she had the courage to retaliate. The general thinks to himself, fair play to that young lieutenant for kissing the young lady, because she is rather beautiful, but why did she hit me instead? And the young lieutenant was the only one who knew what happened. You see, in that brief moment of darkness, he had the opportunity to kiss a pretty girl and to slap his general. <laughs> so they, they all had a different perception, you see, of what actually happened. And uh, I, I, I guess we all have different perceptions. You see, some people say, well, poverty is a lack of shelter. Or poverty is a lack of food. Poverty is a lack of money or uh, not being able to go to school or, uh, you know, living out on the streets or, or whatever it might be. And we've all got these different perceptions. Some people think, well, you know, uh, charity begins at home. So why are we giving part of our budget out to uh, foreign aid? Um, you know, uh, others say, well, it's just a massive problem. So what's the point? Nothing ever changes. So we have all these different perceptions about poverty. Let me tell you that poverty is a lack of choice. It's a lack of hope. It's a lack of options in life. For all of us here, we have many options. We have many choices. 
We have hope. Even if you're at your lowest point right now, we live in a society where there is an opportunity. There is an opportunity to change our circumstances. And we can cross that line. And, uh, but many people just cannot cross the line because there's, there's nothing. There's not an infrastructure. There's not a benefit. There's nothing that's going to help them to cross that line. And, and so there's a lack of hope. And they've seen it in generations gone by. And they think nothing's ever going to change. What's the point? I remember being in a quarry in India where kids were breaking up stones and there were three brothers and there was one brother who was about 15 and he said this to us. He said, uh, we asked him, did he have any dreams? He said, I have dreams but I asked that God would take them away because they're never going to happen. Now that breaks my heart that a kid of 15 who should be kicking a football, instead he's breaking stones cannot see the dreams that he has in his life fulfilled because there's no hope and there's no opportunity for this child. And you see, kids like Gracious and kids like uh, Ediphone, they don't have a hope unless somebody becomes a friend and reaches out and enables them to become all that God wants them to be. They're kids just like us. They're kids just like ours, I should say. And some of us, <laughs> we are kids. But um, uh, they have hopes, they have dreams, but, but take those dreams away because it's never going to happen. But if we can instill in them a sense of God's love and value in their lives and the opportunity to go to school and have an education, things begin to change. And it's about reaching out and helping that broken person who has no opportunity to help themselves or, or is in need of a friend, is in need of a neighbor. Today we've got that opportunity. Why don't you just turn with me to verse 25 and actually we'll go down to verse, I can't even see it, 20, uh, uh, 30. Uh, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Let's just take a moment to pray, shall we? Father, thank you this morning that we can gather in your name. Uh, the king's church before the king. And we just want to declare, my Lord and my God, I want to declare that you are holy, that you are Lord in this place today. And we ask that, uh, Lord, old truths will become fresh revelation in our hearts this morning and that you would speak to each one of us, maybe at many different levels, but that, Lord, each one of us will be drawn a little closer to you and to your kingdom cause, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So here's the story. You've got three guys, different kind of perceptions, different responses. Uh, the priest comes along. He's a religious man. You'd think that he would stop and help this guy who's broken on the street there. Uh, but no, he's got to get to church. There's lots of people who need to get to church. 
and are missing the people on the way, the divine appointment on the way. Uh, then, then you've got the, the, um, the Levite, another religious person who you'd think would stop, but no, he sees the blood and he thinks, I'm not even going to cross the road. I can't touch that body because there's blood and I've already begun the, the ceremonial washings and cleansings to make me pure so that I can do the sacrifices at the time. I can't get involved, but I'm sure God will send somebody else. And somebody else comes along and here's somebody that you could forgive almost for passing by on the other side because he was a Samaritan and the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. There was no relationship. So the Jew is probably kind of looking up and thinking, no, he's a Samaritan. He's going to walk by, but he's the one who stops. He's the one who gets involved. He sees this person who needs a friend, who needs a neighbor. Martin Luther King, who we've just uh, remembered 50 years since his passing away, since his death, uh, said this. He said that the first question that the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop and help this man, what will happen to me? I guess they were concerned about, you know, the, the dangerous road that they were on. Was this a ploy just to, you know, to get them as well? But the Samaritan, he reverses the question. and He says, if I don't stop and help this man, what will happen to him? And that's so true, isn't it? That's, that's true for us today in Kingston or wherever it is, whichever borough of London or outside of London that you live. If we don't stop and help those who are poor, those who are needy, those who are disenfranchised, the last, the least, the lost, the lonely, those who sit on the wrong side of justice, whoever they are, uh, if we don't get involved, what will happen to them? And we have a responsibility as this generation of believers, as we've talked about, uh, this responsibility that we have for the city of London and for some of the crime and the situations that are going on right now, we have a responsibility to reach out and to make a difference in our communities. So Jesus tells this story to illustrate what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now that's a discipleship issue. This is about loving God with every part of your being. And the Good Samaritan can, can kind of just help us with that this morning. I just want to share four things briefly this morning and kind of link it into this wider message of compassion. Um, and uh, I trust that God will really speak to us this morning. The first thing is this. The Samaritan chose to see the need. He chose to see the, the need. See, he was moved in his soul. When he saw him, it says, he took pity on him. He didn't close his eyes to the need like so many people do today. No, he chose to see the need. That's what Jesus does. He always sees the need. You know, he, he sees the crowd here this morning, but he sees the individual as well. And he sees your need. He knows exactly where you are. Maybe you've said this morning, I wish God would see me. I wish God would remember me. Where is he? He's not answered my prayer, but listen, I want to tell you, he's the God who sees you and he knows you intimately, better than you know yourself, and he knows your need right now. And this is a place where needs can be met this morning. There's a family here who love you, who want to encourage you and support you, but Jesus always sees the need. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, Matthew 9 tells us. We need to see the needs in our community. We need to see the needs around us. The danger is that as Christians, we are kind of 
quite closeted. We're quite cut off. And we do that intentionally. You know, we're, we're in the world, but not of the world. And that's right. But sometimes we, we close ourselves away from where the needs are, where uh, the darkness is, because we need to take the light into the darkness. And uh, the danger is that we just buy into this kind of consumer society. We want to be comfortable. We want to be entertained. We want, you know, consumer Christianity without the cost that's the danger living in the Western world. But Jesus says, I want you to take up your cross. I want you to, you know, go beyond that. I want you to, you know, uh, uh, have a, an eye for those who are not yet part of my kingdom. We need to see the needs in our community, in our nation, and across the world. Can I tell you today that 17,000 children will die of easily preventable causes? 17,000 children. That's things like malnutrition, malaria. Diarrhea. Wow, we don't want to talk about diarrhea on a Sunday morning. Listen, that's what kills kids. Because they've drunk over a period of time filthy, dirty water from a stream, from a, uh, a river that goats have urinated in and other animals have feces in and all the rest of it. It's not pleasant to talk about this. Tim, I, I came to worship Jesus this morning and to find out more about his love for me and, and how I can serve him. But listen, compassion, splagnitsomai is the Greek word. It comes from here and that's what God feels for us. And that's what breaks his heart when he sees a world that is suffering in the ways that they are and the needs of children right now. Kids getting bombed in Syria, waking up fearful, panicking, not knowing which way to turn. And the needs are so great, and it's always the kids that suffer the most in context of poverty or war or whatever it might be. 17,000 children will die today of easily preventable causes. Do you know, nearly a billion people will go to bed hungry tonight, praying for food, praying for, uh, that, praying for sleep because that gnawing pain in their stomach just uh, is, is so difficult to bear. Mums in some parts of the world will boil up stones in a cooking pot just to give the effect of something being cooked for tea. You know, and they'll sing songs to their kids and get them off to sleep. Wow. I think we'll, we've had breakfast this morning. We'll have lunch later. We'll have some tea. We might eat some sweets or uh, cookies or something like that in between. We'll, we'll do pretty well today and through this week, but nearly a billion people will go to bed hungry tonight. Can I tell you that 800 million people lack access to safe, clean water? 800 million people. This is the 21st century. And, and we've got water on tap out of bottles, out of taps, out of, you know, um, Plastic cups like this one, and, and, and we can just drink, and, and we've got enough water, and it's clean water, and it won't do us any harm. But children are dying because of bad water. And, and can I tell you that that's not just the only problem. When you, when you don't have water to drink, when uh, you know, you've got to go and find water, here's, here's the, the consequences of that. Just imagine that you're a 12 year old girl in, in Tanzania or Bangladesh or wherever, and, and you're kept out of school because you've got to walk five kilometers every day to get water for the family. So the child is out of school. She's not getting an education. So she's walking along. She gets the water, and on the way back now, she's vulnerable. She's carrying a heavy water canister. Maybe somebody abducts her. Maybe somebody violates her. Now this child is corrupted. Now she doesn't really stand a chance. She's not the kind of marrying type. She's dishonored. And so what will often happen in some cultures is that the rapist will marry 
the, the girl, and now she's subjected to violation right through her adolescence. By the time she's 14, she may have child number one. By the time she's 16, she may have another child. By the time she's 18, she may have another child and she may have HIV, and the child may have HIV as a result of being in the womb. By the age of 22, she might be dead. Now, if you kind of rewind, what was the cause? That she had to go to an unsafe place to get water for her family. Wow. That's the, that's the reality. That's the need in our world today. It's wrong that children have to do that. 130 million girls are not in education. And, and we have all kinds of educational op opportunities here. But 130 million girls are not in education. And that's just the girls, you know? But so often it's the girls that are penalized, and yet they are the ones that will actually turn around their society if they were given that opportunity to get an education, which means they can get a qualification, which means they can get work, which means they can get an income, which means they've got spending power, which means they've got a voice. And they say that Africa is carried on the backs of women. It literally is. And yet so often put down in so many societies and not given that opportunity. So many needs in our world. Something like 36 to 40 million people in modern day slavery, uh, in, in sexual exploitation, in, in uh, forced labor. Two million young children every year are sexually exploited. I hope this is breaking your heart because it breaks mine, it breaks the heart of God that this is what we are, are allowing in the days in which we live. You see, loving God means allowing him to saturate our souls with compassion, with splagnitsamai, that same suffering that we've remembered in the lead up to Good Friday and, and what he bore on the cross, you know, that pain, that suffering that came out of him for the sins of the world and for the people of the world. God wants us to have that same compassion. He wants our souls to be saturated so that when we see broken humanity, the love of God wells up and causes us to respond rather than to retreat, to open our eyes in faith rather than to close our eyes in fear. So he chose to see the need. Let's open our eyes to the world around us. Let's choose to see the needs in our community and around our world. Second thing is this, he answered the cry. You see, it wasn't enough to uh, see the need uh, and to have pity, he chose to answer the cry of the man on the side of the road. He did something about it. You see, it's one thing to have faith, but faith without deeds is not faith at all, James tells us. Okay? The, the word says that he went to him. He bandaged his wounds. He, he poured on oil and wine. He comforted him. Now, this time, we need to love God not just with our souls, but with our minds. Because when we love God with our minds, it involves a conscious act of the will and says I will do something about what I've actually seen it's about yielding our minds to him and being obedient to his will this is what it means to love the Lord your God with all your soul and with all your mind so he bandaged the wounds and he brought comfort to the needy man Proverbs 21 13 says this that if a man shuts his ear to the cry of the poor he too will cry out and not be answered Ooh, that's a bit of a hard one isn't it I don't know about you, but I like verses like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Or, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, you know. And, and I love those verses, you know. The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter to the full. I love those kind of verses, but then, then the Lord just slips in a few really hard ones. For me. 
puts his ear to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. Ooh, but God, don't you love me? Don't you want to bless me? Isn't that your plan for my life? God says, yeah, of course I want to bless you, but I want you to understand the pattern. I want you to understand what breaks my heart, what, what causes me to weep. I want you to share my heart, you know? If you want to share in my glory, then you need to share in my sufferings, Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8. Samaritan was aware of the danger and the inconvenience, but he reached out anyway. He answered the cry. Here's the third thing. He refused to give up. See, in verses 34 to 35, it says he doesn't just patch him up on the side of the road. What he does is he puts him on his donkey. And he takes him to an inn, and he looks after him there. And then when he's got to go off in business, he pays the innkeeper two days' wages and says, look after him, and on my return, if it's cost you anything else, then I will reimburse you then. You see, he wanted to see it right the way through. He refused to give up. Uh, he, he wanted to, to see wholeness come to this man you know this time when we love God with all our strength we will follow through in the things that he puts on our hearts to do we'll do whatever it takes sometimes you know we start with good intentions don't we uh, but then opposition comes or criticism or lack of interest or uh, productivity or whatever it might be and maybe others kind of lose faith with it or whatever and, and we begin to doubt ourselves and Listen, I want to, maybe this morning, I'm speaking to somebody who's laying something down because of some of those reasons, and yet God hasn't told you to lay it down yet. Maybe you've kind of given up on somebody that you've been praying for, or, or you feel like laying down a ministry or being part of a team in the church or whatever, but if God's not said that, don't do that, because you see, the breakthrough might just be around the corner. You know, and, and you'd have missed out on that thing. So to see it through, you see, Paul said, just as you were eager to begin, be as eager and as willing to finish well. Uh, and, uh, and yet so often we give up halfway, don't, don't we? So can I encourage you to don't give up on that person that you're not seeing the breakthrough that you want to see. Don't forsake that ministry because of the challenges that are associated. Don't give up on that sponsored child or that charity that you support or whatever it might be. When it gets tough financially, press through and just as you started well, finish well. You know, going back to some of those needs, back in the 80s, we used to say that 40,000 kids died every day of easily preventable causes. 40,000, then it went to 37,000, then 34, and I remember saying uh, 28,000, and then 24,000. Just a couple of years ago, we were saying 21,000 kids, and now it's 17,000. So you can see things are changing all the time. Uh, things are getting better, even though it's still a massive issue. There are still 400 million children who live in abject poverty. Things are changing. And uh, we can see this happen more and more. In fact, you know, uh, development experts would say that if we continue at the current trajectory of change, uh, and this is everybody, you know, businesses, entrepreneurs, charities, NGOs, churches, governments, whoever, if we continue at the current trajectory of change, we can see extreme poverty eradicated by 2035. That's pretty cool, isn't it? It's in our lifetime. We can see that happen. Now, the Bible says they'll always be poor in the land. They will always be poor. And that gives us an opportunity to minister. But it's that uh, abject poverty, that extreme poverty, that every day is a survival for the next meal poverty that we can see 
eradicated if we all just do what we can. In, in compassion, we say it's the next child. It's one child at a time, changing the world one child at a time. This is Esther, I think. She's a, a Maasai girl. She wants to be a journalist. You know, that's not just a library picture. That's a real kid. That's one of our kids who's going to make a difference in her community and in her nation. And, uh, you know, she has a hope and a future now. And one child can make a difference to thousands of people in their community just because of the level of influence and opportunity that uh, uh, God may use them in. So refuse to give up. Keep going in that which God has called you to do so that you can see the outcome uh, of, of your great work in the days to come. Here's the last thing. Can I share one more thing with you? Is that okay? All right, it's got 27 points. Here's the first point. No, it hasn't. Okay, number four. He, he was the key to bringing life. He was the key to bringing life. So he chose to see the need. He answered the cry. He refused to give up. He was the key to bringing life. See, the Good Samaritan wasn't hindered by the difference of this man because he wanted to make a difference to this man. So he, he kind of was willing to cross the political and the social and the cultural barriers and the prejudices and the fear of the unknown because he saw someone with a need and he realized, that, well, I've got the resources to be able to meet that need. And this time, when we love God with all our hearts, then everything that we have will be given over to him. You know, everything that we've got now doesn't belong to us. It belongs to him. If you're a Christian this morning, you kind of laid down all of those rights. Sorry to tell you that. <laughs> but, uh, oh, but I've been saving all these years for my future. Yeah, that's great. And, and, and that's a wise thing to do and for your children's children and all the rest of it. But actually, ultimately, it doesn't belong to you. We're only called to be good stewards of that which God has given to us. David said this, everything I have belongs to you, God. Everything I've got. And that's, this is the life of discipleship. It's about giving over everything that we've got. We've got no rights to these things. But when God says, hey, I want this. I want your car. I want your house. I want your, your time. I want your energy. I want your money. I want your, your things. You know, are we willing just to release that and say, God, whatever you want for your kingdom and for your cause. But you know what? He's a God of blessing as well. And you can't outgive God. You really can't. And today, a little bit later, I'm going to ask you maybe to invest in a child. But listen, are you investing in this church? Are you investing in the, the local vision of this house? Because that's so important. You know, bring your tithe into the storehouse and then give offerings on top and, 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 and whatever. And, and God will so bless you as you uh, have that heart attitude. See, when we love God with our hearts, everything that we have will be wholly available to him. You know, the priest represented religion, and the Levite represented ritual. Can I tell you that God hates both? He's not into religion, and he's not into ritual. In fact, the only religion that God sees as being pure is to love, is to help widows and orphans in their distress. Yeah? Uh, that's what James tells us. And so we're on the right kind of thing, you know, when it comes to the needed, to the poor. Uh, and that's what it's about. You see, back in Isaiah 58, God gets angry with the religious people and the people who were following rituals. And uh, he actually shouts. God shouts. Shout aloud, he says. He wants to get their attention. Because what was happening was that they were, uh, you know, saying to God, you don't care about us. We've prayed and we've called out to you and, and uh, you've not answered our prayers. And God gets angry with them. 
And he says, yeah, because on the day of your fast, because on the day of your ceremony, you've exploited the poor. You've climbed over the backs of others to, because you're greedy for gain. You've exploited your workers. You've, you've not been fair. You've not been just in your dealings. And God is angry with them. And he says, is not this the kind of fast that I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to give shelter to the homeless, to clothe the naked, to feed the hungry, and not to turn the stranger away? Is that not the kind of fast that I've chosen and I desire, says the Lord? And he says this, that then your light will rise, then your healing will come, then you'll, you know, uh, walk in a way that is, is, shows a full life and all of these things. But, you know, if you don't hear the cry of the poor, then I'm not going to hear your cry, God says, as we bring those two verses together. You know, the Samaritan represented relationship. And, and the poor need a friend. They need somebody who will take their hand and say, do you know... I'm going to help you in this time. I'm going to empower you. I'm not going to just, you know, uh, give you a, a, a handout. We're not into handouts. We're into helping up. We're into lifting up and empowering people to be able to make a difference themselves. And so when you invest in a child, they will turn their circumstances around. They will change their family. They will change their environment and see their community transformed. The poor needed a friend. So as Christians, we're called to feel the need of the broken. We're called to, to kneel beside humanity with humility. That's what Jesus does. He, he comes to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We're called to heal the wounds, physical, emotional, and spiritual. We're called to be dealers of hope. Mother Teresa said this, that one of the greatest diseases is to be nobody to anybody. Wow. Isn't it good to know that you're loved, that you're special to someone, that somebody values you, that if you weren't in their world, you know, there would be a big hole. But so many kids, you know, the kids in 755, your project, there's a lot of uh, fathers that are just abdicating their responsibility, leaving their wives, leaving their kids. And kids feel lonely, feel uh, rejected. You know, and, and you can transfer that to the, the situation in, in London town right now where young people are perhaps fatherless, uh, lack family, lack the environment of hope, uh, and it causes them to find a gang where they can call their family, where they feel like they belong. And that happens all over the world, doesn't it? But to be valued and to be known and to be loved is a precious thing. And to be able to write to a child and say, hey, I love you. You mean the world to me. I'm praying for you. I'm spurring you on. Do well at school, you know? I love uh, your picture. I love your drawings. I love what you're doing. You know, I've got uh, uh, one of our sponsored kids. She's in Ethiopia. She's 14 now, Samarit. I've met her a few times. And Samarit means Samaritan. I'm praying that she'll be a good Samaritan. And, you know, her life is changing. She wrote to me once years ago. She said, uh, will you be my father? Because I haven't got a father. My father walked out when I was just a baby, so I never knew him. But will you be my dad? I said, yeah, absolutely. And she writes to me now, dear father, dear dad. She calls me every other word is dad this, dad that. You know, I'm doing, working hard for you. I want to get good grades for you, dad. I want you to be proud of me. I am proud of her for who she is. 
and she said, I can't wait to see you again. And those memories of, of, of you, the time we spent, you know, was so wonderful, Dad, you know? And, and she said, other kids say, you haven't got a dad. She said, yes, I have, but he works abroad and he's coming to see me soon. She's a great kid, you know? Can be a dad, a mum, uh, a brother or a sister to one of these children today. I just want to show you a, a video. It's called One Act, and this is uh, four of our young people who've gone through the program. And uh, just hear their story, then I'm going to jump back up, and Jamie's going to come up, and we're going to wrap this up and hand back to Philip. Is that okay? Let's watch the screen, shall we? It was lunchtime. We were sitting around a table, and we were all holding hands. And my father was praying for the lunch that we were about to eat. But there was only one problem. <laughs> Our table was empty. My earliest recollections is finding myself at the age of five, roaming the streets, eating from dumpsters. We were not able to have food at all. We were forced to live with 17 of our other relatives in a very small shanty. No toilets. A lot of crime. No running water. Rape for children. If you want to be out of poverty, then you have to deal with drugs. Some of my friends were actually sold into prostitution. Kids dying for preventable causes. And as darkness engulfs the place, the devil takes over. One morning, I just woke up that, you know, my uncle is just touching me in some parts of my body that I just thought to myself that this can't be happening. One day, my father was murdered right next to my mother, and I knew that moment that my life had changed. I watched as my 10-month-old sister died in the laps of my mother out of starvation. My relatives would always tell me, Michelle, you are so ugly. You will become nothing but a thief and a drug addict when you grow up. And those were the words that I heard from people whom I expected to love and take care of me. Poverty had told me I am hopeless, I am nothing, and I believed that. But right in the middle of this desperation, it was then that compassion intervened. One Sunday morning, my Aunt Carol, she's the only Christian person that I know during that time, she woke me up and said that we have to go to this church and she registered me. What joy and dancing came to my home at the news that I'd finally got a sponsor. I received my first letter. We wrote back and forth. And he told me, you are my first friend outside my continent. She said words like, Richmond, I love you and that lightened me up. My sponsor told me, Michelle, you are beautiful. You are precious to us, and we love you. And the words touched the very depth of my heart and soul. 18 years later, here I am, a child rescued from hopelessness by a young person. My life was changed. My life was changed. My life was changed. By a teenager who sponsored me. One teenager changed my life. She was 15 years old. Her name is Ashley. Her name was Heather. I called her mom. My name is Michelle. My name is Tony. My name is Jimmy. My name is Richmond. And one act saved my life. And one act saved my life. Saved my life. Will you act? The choice is yours.
sponsor a child through compassion today. Release a child from poverty. From poverty. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Fantastic young people. I was talking to Richmond, the last guy who spoke from Uganda three, three four years ago. And he, I said, what's your ambition? He said, oh, I want to be the president of Uganda. And he probably will be. He, he right now pastors the church that oversaw the project that he came through. And he runs a, a pastor's network of 600 pastors. He's built a Bible college where 6,000 leaders have been trained. All because one girl, 15-year-old Heather, invested in his life. See, it's the power of one. One can make such a difference. And I wonder if you'll invest in one today. You know, um, a couple of years ago, I was with a church uh, team that came out to visit their partner church in Ethiopia. And we had a bit of a fun day. And we, the team broke up and we did some different activities with the kids and some were playing volleyball and some were playing football and some were running races. And, and I found myself with a, about 35, six-year-olds and uh, I said to one of the guys, let's do some throwing and catching skills. So we got eventually into a circle, which is pretty much impossible around the world to get that age group into a circle. But we managed to do it. And, and he went in the middle and he's throwing the ball to each one and they threw it back and we went around the circle. And, and I, I kind of stayed outside and picked the ball up as it rolled out and threw it back in. And, and I watched as the ball came round and the kids were having so much fun. But there was a little boy there in a long white sleeve shirt and his arms were straight down. By the side, and he had such a sad expression on his face. And I watched as the ball came round and hit him on his chest and fell to the ground. He didn't even attempt to go for it. And I watched it again, same thing happened. So I came alongside and, and I, I kind of got down. I said, Hey, should we do this together? And he kind of looked up at me with a sad expression. And I went to take his hands in mine, and I realized he didn't have an arm in his right sleeve. And his left hand, he had three fingers only. No wonder he couldn't go for the ball. No wonder he didn't try. So I literally became the right arm of this child and the left hand of this child. And together, we caught the ball and were able to throw it back. Now, you should have seen the expression on this kid's face. You know, the, the joy, because now he could join in. Now he had the chance to do the same as everybody else. Do you know what I'm saying? This morning, we've got the chance to be the right arm of a child and to empower them to be the same as everyone else, to, to go to school, to have health care, because these kids have to walk 30 minutes to the nearest health care place, and that could be an issue of life or death. It, it, the opportunity to know and love Jesus, the opportunity to uh, be cared for uh, with all their different emotional needs and social needs and all these different things, we can be that right arm, that left hand that supports a child this morning and, uh, and we want to give you that opportunity to respond there's a table over there with some lovely kids come and ask any questions that you like 25 pounds a month will change the life of a child I know as a church you like coffee don't you I can tell because you've got a good coffee machine out there and it's not just on Sundays you drink coffee through the week, you go to Starbucks, you go to Costa, you go to Cafe Nero, you go to all these different outlets, and, and, and you'll pay £2.79 for a medium latte. You'll pay you know, another £2.50 for a muffin. You'll go £4.80 for a panini or something like that. Suddenly, you've got no change out of a tenner. Certainly, you know, uh, if you have a little bit more, not much change out of a £20 note. 25 quid can make a president. £25 could 
cause the next teacher, uh, you know, that will affect her community. 25 pounds will make a lawyer who will stand up for justice. 25 pounds, it's just a few quid to some. For others, it's difficult. Why not join together and, and do that and, and invest in a child? And listen, hey, if what I've said this morning just says, I can't sponsor a child because I'm committed to doing something with Tear Fund or, or with Home for Good or whatever, you know, keep on doing that. Keep doing that because that's so important. There's, there's lots of ways to see this world reach for Jesus. But if today God is saying, invest in a child or invest in another child, you may already do that, then why not come and chat with us? Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for your love to us this morning. You are amazing, God. You're a good, good father. And we're loved by you. And you love children all over this world. And I pray today that that love will be extended through us. Speak to us about how we can respond to your word this morning, I pray, Jesus. If it's just to be more grateful, to be more intentional, to keep our eyes open, then so be it, Lord. If it's to do something physical, practical, then I pray. Lord, if it's this morning, somebody needs to give their life to Jesus and find purpose in this life, then today, I pray, will be the start of the rest of their life with you. Thank you that you're a God who forgives and restores and renews and redeems. Thank you so much. We love you, Jesus, this morning. In your precious name, amen. Amen.